Howdy, everybody. And shalom to you, my main homie, and to our two guests. <laughs> two guests. We have producer Joey in the house. And also, we have a special guest. This is the longest uh, little tag-in ever. <laughs> I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And this is Antiwave. And with us, we have the esteemed director, Jeff Ryan. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Jeff! Hey there. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, what's going on, man? Uh, nothing much. Having a lovely evening in L.A. Yeah. We're going to talk about your film a little bit later on, Frey. And um, we're also going to talk about our top five shell shock films, right? Right. Right. Yeah, so top five shell shock is coming up. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we have some dead corner. We have uh, week in review. We have all sorts of stuff to do, to discuss. But first, Jeff, I wanted to talk to you and um, and pick your brain a little bit about where you come from, what your background is as a filmmaker, and uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Where where did you start out? Where are you from? Give us um, the lowdown on Jeff. I was born in Montana, uh, Billings, Montana. Grew up in Laurel, and. Ever since I was a little kid, like one of my earliest memories was drawing with crayons on the wall and getting in trouble for it. And um, just always loved creating images, telling stories. And, uh, you know, I guess with films, I'm still kind of trying to put my drawings on the wall. Right. And uh, now I just don't get in as much trouble for it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah. Well, one might argue more trouble than before. It's <laughs> true, actually, in some ways, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I bounced around. Um, I was in, I uh, went to school in Vancouver, B.C., uh, then, what school was that? Uh, Emily Carr Institute of Art and Design. Um, okay. Studied actually fine arts, uh, like general fine arts. And because um, I like painting, all sorts of stuff, drawing, animation is one of my first loves. Um, mm -hmm. And then lived in New York for 17 years and worked a lot. Um, I mean, struggled for a long time, but then got into like the commercial world. So I've done like fashion commercial stuff like that to uh, pay the rent. Now, how did you get and, into that? Uh, kind of a long story, but the short of it is, I was it's okay. We got a long way to go. It's a long <laughs> show. Um, it was basically I was uh, I was working uh, for uh, for a school, and I got a referral. Somebody uh, was looking for an editor to do some videos, and it was a fashion designer, and uh, he had me doing like these concept videos for him to kind of pitch to the higher ups of the company. Mm -hmm. And the videos went over really well, and then they had me doing stuff for their fashion shows, and then. Um, within like a couple of years, I was doing like behind the scenes videos. They liked the footage so much, they started cutting it into commercials. And then like about six years later, I started directing their commercials. And then that spread into a lot of other fashion clients. So it was kind of just luck, persistence, and I guess some talent that they liked. <laughs> I like that talent is third on that list. <laughs> it always is. <laughs> Ira, you yeah. uh, yeah. did you ever... What's that thing about perspiration, inspiration? It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Remember that's 90% perspiration, 10% inspiration, that the work in the, is oh, totally. perhaps even more important than the innate talent. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. So, okay, so after you finish school, you get into the commercial world, and then uh, take us into Frey. How, do, how does that work? Do you start doing short films first and, uh, yeah, and work I'm, your way up from there, or I mean, how I, does it work? I technically did my first live-action film when I was... 15, uh, one of my buddies in high school was, uh, we actually met at a summer animation program when we were 12, uh, this guy named Jaron Blaschke, who still one of my best friends, uh, lives down the street from me. Uh, he was DP, um, he's been the DP on all my music videos, uh, he shot Frey, he's gone on to do huge things, he shot that film The Witch, um, oh, right, okay. and he's got a lot of really big ones coming out soon, but, um, but he and I, like, you know, here and I were roommates out in New York for like four and a half years and I was doing like little short films working on other people's films um, 
fell into the music video world too, which was great back when music videos were still on TV. Right. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, in terms of with Frey, um, I'd written a five page script about, about the subject of uh, returning Vex it was a subject that had hit close to home. I had my own cousin was in, uh, in Iraq as a Marine. Um, and he was wounded there, um, from an IED attack and, you know, his, his whole experience um, was an eye-opener for me, not just his experience with the, the injuries from the war, um, both physical and the psychological things he was dealing with. But then also, um, I was back home for the holidays, and he and I were talking and um, really getting in depth, because I've been reading about it a lot. I, you know, um, I'm a news junkie, current events junkie, all mm -hmm. that stuff. So... You know, we were discussing it, and one of the things that was an eye-opener to me was he was talking about for himself, he was fortunate. He's got a good family that he could come and stay with. But he, was like, he told me a lot of the guys that he was in the hospital with didn't have that. You know, there's a lot of reasons somebody may sign up for the military a lot of times because they don't have a lot of options. Extended family. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so when they were released due to delays for benefits, all that sort of stuff, they would go straight from the hospital to the streets. And so I got, like, just my mind was blown by that. And so I spent about a year um, getting to know a lot of young vets uh, who were living on the streets or out in the woods and that sort of thing, spending time with them, hearing their stories. And I wanted to do a documentary about it, but I'm a terrible documentary filmmaker. Um, Why is that? I, when somebody starts pouring their heart out to me, the last thing I want to do is put a camera in their face. Mm. And a great documentary filmmaker is one that can get past that and see that the value of this moment and sharing this moment with an audience, I can't get past that. So I would just leave my camera in the bag while they were telling me all the great stuff. And, um, and so I decided, maybe, maybe you got to make a documentary on kittens or something. You I know? do like positive ones I can do. Like I've okay. done tons of those for, for clients or fun ones where it's inspirational, but it, when it's like the dark traumatic stuff, I can't mm. do it. Um, and so, so yeah, I wrote this little short script about it, kind of an experiment, because it was totally different than any other film I'd done. Most of my stuff was a little bit over-the-top ridiculous, and this one's a lot more understated and subtle. And so it was a kind of an experiment to see if I could even pull it off. And uh, it did well, relatively. Um, did a couple of festivals, got a great response. And so I talked to Brian, the lead actor in it, and I was like, how would you feel about doing a no budget feature well before person. we get before oh, sure. we get into Frey, i want to talk yeah. I, I want to talk more about your build-up to Frey because we're going to talk oh, about yeah. the movie extensively in okay. just a few minutes but i want to ask more about the short films how what was that process like how, how what kind of exposure did you gain from that um, um in retrospect do you feel like it was worth it it was totally worth it because i mean while i had been doing animation films since i was a kid and um was working as a director, editor, cinematographer, all, all things. Um, in terms of my own narrative storytelling craft, it was essential to really develop my own voice, experiment, have a couple failures, have a couple that worked out. Um, in terms of exposure, I got very little. I didn't have a lot of luck with festivals. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it wasn't necessarily helpful for that, but definitely in terms of really refining my craft, it was essential. Um, Do you that, feel like you found your your voice in that process? Definitely, yeah. And because I'm, especially with the commercial stuff, it's like fairly schizophrenic. You know, one day you'll be doing something that's like just really happy, and especially the fashion stuff. It's often, you know, you're working with models in a beautiful location. It's just walk from point A to point B is the extent of your direction. Um, mm. And so 
in order to really refine my own directorial craft, it was great to do these scripted shorts where I'm working with actors and really trying to, you know, refine my, with my visual style and the, the narrative style. Not to put you on the spot, but what would you describe your uh, directorial style as? Like, what, what, is, what is your vision? Um, What's your artist statement? Honestly, like, creatively, I'm completely schizophrenic. I mean, you know, seen Frey, I also have done a wacky animated series. I've done a ridiculously dark and dark comedy uh, web series. Um, I've got some other projects that I've done that are just, they're all over the map. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I will say that kind of stands out with all of them is I want, I always, it always comes from this sense of there's something that doesn't exist that I feel like I want to exist in the world. Hmm. Um, And I try to find some way to put something positive in the world. I feel like there's so much negativity that I want to put something into the world that is positive, both Maybe not always as an experiment, like with, again, don't want to get into too much with Frey. It's not exactly a lighthearted romp in the, in the sunshine, but I felt like... Oh, it wasn't a dark comedy? <laughs> I was laughing the whole time. Was uh... that, wasn't I supposed to be laughing? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff storms out. Yes. Fuck you, dude! <laughs> um, but it is. It's like I want to put something out there that has some kind of a positive social value. Right. So that would, I say, as a director, that's my main goal, is to put things out in the world that I feel like benefit society in Mm. some small way that's your mission statement yeah it's my mission statement yeah Yeah. you need a shirt says i benefit society in some small way well i don't hopefully my work does (laughs) well that's that's representative of you right i guess maybe yeah these these actors are just tools to get you to say what you want yeah they're all cattle (laughs) they are totally (laughs) says hitchcock (laughs) yeah well uh well we're gonna get into fray in just a minute Anything else about your past, your history that you would want to, if someone was listening to this 100 years from now and doing, you know, background, deep background check, what else would they want to know about your directorial, you know, um, I, I guess your essence? Oh, God, that's a lot to think about. Um, I have trouble thinking about what's happening tomorrow. Um, well, I guess that's it. They'll never yeah. know. Here's yeah. your answer. Allow the work to speak for itself. Yeah. I mean, honestly, to a certain extent, that is that it. is true. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of a cop out. That's a great. Anyway, that's a great douchebag that, yeah, answer. Yeah. There you go. Allow, I want to allow my work to speak for itself. Well, it is. It's um. It's with with the uh, you know. I mean, obviously, I love the act of creating, but my favorite thing about it is getting it in front of people and seeing how they respond to it. And it's amazing to see. Oftentimes, like some of the most some of the th- things I thought that I did that were totally self-indulgent and kind of pretentious um, and nobody would ever really care about it are the things that people really cling to the most in it and that speaks to them the most. So that's one of my favorite things about that whole process about creating something is really what people do draw from it. It's I've never been one of those artists that create something that I consider, oh, this was just for me or this mm. was a personal thing. It's always, It's always about creating something for the audience and seeing what they make of it. Um, now granted, there's obviously a lot of me that goes into it. I, you know, I pick stories that I'm interested in, but it's really, it's a, it's about that audience aspect of it. I try not to put, once I'm done with it, once it's created, I try to just let go of it and see what happens with it out there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a miserable failure that nobody likes and sometimes <laughs> it does. Okay. 
<laughs> well, on that note, let's talk about uh, let's talk about movies we've seen this week. Oh, you want to do that? Are you saying it's time for the week in review? It's time for week in review. So, okay. Jeff, we're going to talk about movies that you might have seen throughout the week. Uh, if you haven't seen anything, no big deal. But whatever you might have seen, uh, if you want to talk about anything, we'll go ahead and do your intro, Ira. Well, thank you, Robert. You've never asked me to do that before. Usually, I thrust it on you. I'm going to cut it out. I know no, you are. Other post. movies we've seen during the last seven days, some are stinkers, some we want to praise. Some are old, some are new. We now present the week in review. Look look at Jeff's. <laughs> he looks touched. Let me out of here. Um, <laughs> Who's going to go first? Uh, I'll go first. You no, go first. I never go first. I want you to go. Okay. Oh, so you're in fourth grade. Yeah. I want to go first. Although, no, I can't remember which movies I saw this week. Did you see it? I did see uh, Train to Busan. Have you guys heard of this movie? It's a, uh, a Korean zombie movie. And it's about a, uh, a, a father who has to take his daughter to uh, Busan. And they're in Seoul. And they're on the train. And as they get on the train is right when the outbreak happens. And um, right at the very last minute, as this train is leaving the station... The last woman who gets on is infected, and slowly the whole train just starts turning into zombies. And and he has to, you know, they're trying to get to Busan where they they think that the the um, the area is safe. So they're trying to escape from all these zombies. The movie writes itself, and it's kind of about what you would expect from a Korean zombie movie. It's it sound, good. Sounds really intense. Um, yeah, I liked it. It was uh, it it was interesting to see. It was interesting to see another culture's take on zombies. You know what I mean? And I think that's always that's always kind of fascinating. Although they did like a herky jerky like uh, uh, kind of. I, I'm trying to do my best podcast version of how they <laughs> of how they move. I'm sorry. Do it again for us, Robert. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Do it again for you. Uh, who okay. Says that? Yeah. <laughs> Finally got you on that. And yeah. I also watched another documentary. I watched it last night. That I am so glad you're here for, Ira, because you're going to have something to say about this. The movie is called. Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. And it's about Jim Carrey when he was playing Andy Kaufman. And I guess he had recorded all of this behind-the-scenes footage uh, when, they, when he was doing uh, Man in the Man Moon. The Jeff, Moon. did you ever see The Man in the Moon? So it's the, uh, it, you know, Andy. So it was when Jim yeah. Carrey, yeah, you know, the, you're familiar with I'm the I'm familiar film. with it, just never saw it. So he recorded all this behind-the-scenes footage and never released it until recently and they interviewed him and, and drew a lot of parallels between their lives and kind of showed how desperate he was to get the role and you know he stayed in character for the whole shoot right which was weird because he would go into andy or he would go into tony clifton which was andy's kind of uh, alter, other, ego. alter ego yeah other persona and he would just be an asshole to people to he would terrorize the director and everything else and uh universal really didn't want him to release it because he was uh they were afraid he was going to look like an asshole is it, what's the documentary called again? It's called Jim and Andy. Yeah. I need to see this. Jim and Andy and the Great Beyond. I need to see this. With, what does it say? Uh, so, producer Joe is handing me. With a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. That's very funny. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've been in Andy Kaufman's company. Yes, I you know. That. That. That's why that? I was bringing it up. Yeah. 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 You Taxi. sucked him off, right? Well, twice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Rat party. <laughs> <laughs> gives the word rap a whole nother level yeah, of meaning. Yeah, that's a wrap. Yeah, yeah. 
was that when he was finished with Taxi, or what was that? It was when Taxi was still running, and my close friend was a writer-producer of the show. I think I mentioned that to you. And he did all the extreme episodes with Andy Kaufman when he got married to Latka and Simka. Mm -hmm. Those episodes that were pretty fringy and way out there. So that was when I was alone with him in the kitchen at Ian's house. And that's also when Saturday Night Live wouldn't let him wrestle a woman live. And he came up to me. We were alone in the kitchen. He said, can you believe that? They wouldn't let me do it, and they wouldn't let. And I didn't know if he was doing shtick, or if he was being honest and sincere with me. I didn't know what level to <laughs> respond, and I just felt myself nodding and say, "Hmm, those damn censors." I was, because I, I, I didn't want to say, "Oh, Andy," I had to go along with it, not sure if it was shtick or not. I don't think it was shtick. I don't think so either. You know, he used to wear that that big uh, the the, the um, thermal suit, right? right. The big, the white, all the covering himself and the shorts. Because he would get massive hard-ons while he was wrestling these women. Did you know that? And that's why he would wear all that yeah. stuff. He would get yeah. a huge hard-on. Yeah. Well, because who, he was really who, into who it. Who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> remember Jeff, the, Jeff remember, is remaining silent. Uh, remember remember the, the cookies and milk at, uh, where was that? In New York? It, uh, uh, what was not it? Rockefeller Center. No, but the other one. Uh, uh, Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall. Yeah. yeah. We went and got cookies and milk. I was, I was okay. actually saying this before to producer Joey. That's actually where um, Mrs. Dalfire began. Is at the beginning of that show, uh, Andy Kaufman brought out his grandma and sat his grandma down on the side of the stage and was like, "I just want my grandma to be here and, and see the show and and um, and he would talk to her a little bit and make sure that she was watching and enjoying herself." And he was like, "This is the best seat in the house." And and they were kind of you know talking back and forth. And then at the end of the show, uh, he wanted, he thanked his grandma and grandma stood up and took a wig off and took all this this extra stuff off and it was Robin Williams. And Robin Williams, like top comic and. Yeah. The world at the time was sitting right there the entire show. That's amazing. And that, I love it. that character he had played turned into Mrs. Doubtfire. So that's part that's of amazing. how that came, wow. came to be. And then he took everybody out for milk and cookies. Milk and, and cookies. And then, you know, that, that thing continued the next day, right? So he told people, he said, if you want to go, was it the Staten Island Ferry? He said, come tomorrow at 7 a.m. and we'll get on the Staten Island Ferry and we'll will go out and they did and they all went out and got ice cream together so some people continue doing that show for like in, until the next day remember his foreign man routine and also on Saturday Night Live when he'd play uh, Mighty Mouse and he would lip sync to here I come to save the day and it worked I love Andy Cotton. I know well it's that whole thing of absurdity yeah about that's the collision of what's real and what's not and this this these two coming together it's it was well, and as, as you guys probably know, he, it's rumored that he faked his own right, death. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And uh, his his best friend, Bob Zamuda, it was 20 years after he had, quote-unquote, died. Bob Zamuda threw a big um, kind of uh, Andy Kaufman party at the uh, House of Blues in Hollywood, in West Hollywood. And uh, I went there, got tickets, and uh, I think I went there with uh, with Mark, our, my, our buddy Mark. And we were watching the show and all these performers came out and doing this tribute and everything. And when they went, when they were done, they said, just like Andy Kaufman's show in Carnegie Hall, we're going to go across the street and we're going to go to the comedy store and we have all this wrestling. And it was like the midget wrestling or whatever it's called. And they, they gave milk and cookies to us, the famous, famous cookies. And then when we were done, Dennis Hoff from the bunny ranch came out and said, Andy Kaufman was our most you know favorite celebrity guest. So we're going to continue in the spirit of Andy Kaufman. We're all going to the Bunny Ranch. And if anybody comes, if you bring your ticket with you, that is good for one free fuck at the Bunny Ranch or the Mustang Ranch or whatever it was called, the, the Dennis Hoff place in, yeah. in 
Nevada. So you, right. they were like, how you get there is on your own. But just get in a car, get over there. You have one week to get there, and you get a free fuck. That's Where awesome. was I? I don't know. I didn't know you at the time. Mm. <laughs> uh, believe me. Believe me that would have gone to good use with you. <laughs> Jeff, you ever been with a prostitute? You don't have to answer that. No, but Jeff, seriously, have you? <laughs> Robert, that is so your humor, but I just, that is. <laughs> Let's change the subject quick before Jeff jumps out the window. Say, technically, maybe. <laughs> technically, maybe. What was his name? <laughs> All right, Jeff, what movies did you see this week? I actually did watch one. I saw, um, it's an old, uh, old one, uh, but I saw With Nail and I. Oh, yeah. And I'd never seen it before, and I'm really glad i finally did it's a beautiful film and wait it's been i know the movie i've seen it but i can't remember what it's about is it english yeah it's a it's a british film it's about two struggling actors who go out into the countryside for a a couple days and it goes horribly they're just miserable out there and it's you know the english countryside so it's rainy and cold and um they're complete alcoholics and just miserable and it's absolutely hilarious it's poignant it's one of the best uh, best takes on the personalities of actors, especially uh, ones who are really struggling. Um, it's just it's a brilliant film. I mean, so many subtleties. It's actually one I really want to watch again because there's so many layers to it. And um, and then it ends on like a really because you're laughing the whole time, and then it has this turn at the end where all of a sudden it turns really heavy, and it's a pretty powerful ending. So it's a beautiful film. Um, I cannot think of the director's name to save my life or the actors. Uh, uh, producer Joey will look it up. With, okay. n- with Nail and I. But yeah, really great film. Was, was that the same director as the movie Naked? So. There's like an English director who does a lot of, of those kinds of films. And I think I, I remember feeling like I needed to watch all of his stuff. Naked was good, but it, at times it felt like homework, you know, or you kind of, yeah. <sighs> right, I watched this. But uh, what was it? She pulled it up here. Bruce Robinson, okay. but yes. I'm not sure if he was the one that did, oh, With Nail and I, yeah, he did, Bruce Robinson did With Nail and I. Who did Naked? Can you find out who did Naked? It was back in the 80s as well. But those are like the, a lot of the same kind of era. Also, yeah. even, I think he started doing some absurd stuff. I'm not sure, did he do How to Get Ahead in Business? Did you see that yes. movie? Yeah. Okay. Same uh, lead actor as well. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, great film. Did you too. see that movie, Ira? No. How to Get Ahead in Business? No. It's about an Englishman no. in a in a a, a kind of a corporate uh, uh, he's he's trying to climb up the corporate ladder and he starts to grow something out of his neck and it turns out to be another head and he has two heads and it it's kind of a an evil devilish head right if, if i remember correctly, yeah. he's talking him into doing all sorts of like really evil things and he's trying to climb up the corporate ladder and he can't hide this like awful head that's growing larger and larger yeah it's wow. very weird I liked With Nail and I better. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ira, what did you see this week? Uh, We could review. I saw two half movies, so it equals one whole. (laughs) Did you stop watching halfway through? Well, that is what happened. I started watching the first half of uh, The Lazarus Effect on on Netflix. I was always kind of curious about that movie. Um, And I forgot, Olivia Wilde was in that film. I didn't realize that. So I I watched the first half of it, and I found it um, derivative. Derivative. So I, I stopped watching that. And uh, I did discover something kind of interesting as far as Amazon, Amazon Prime. And that is that prior to last night, whenever I'd watch something on Amazon Prime, I'd have to watch it on my laptop. But I suddenly realized that if I just download 
the Amazon Prime app onto my cell phone, I can mirror my Apple TV. Boom, it came up on the 60-inch TV. So now I've got that on the 60-inch TV as well. And I watched another half of a film equaling a whole, something I never heard of. And it's kind of soft core porn, which you can find. It's there. You have to dig for it. Something I mentioned in a previous podcast. Wait, softcore yeah, porn is there? Hard, so, is hardcore porn on there? No, it's not. But something I mentioned that... Um, Wait, I'm, a, not, I'm not being... Will you let me... You're what? dismissing, but what? I'm, what? I'm curious. What? What? Is hardcore porn on there? No. Believe me, if it was, I would okay. know. <laughs> I searched. I searched okay. for it. But Go I read ahead. some interesting articles that, uh, as opposed to Netflix, which has categories, they say, steamy movies. You have to find... But in, in Amazon Fresh, it's there. But you have to know the title in order to, to pull it up. This was called NSFW. NSFW, which stands for not, not safe, safe for, for work. work. You knew that. Of course. Robert. I knew that one too. Yeah. Well, I didn't. But I saw the first But you never film. worked in a corporate job. No, not safe for work. I think that's work. why. Yeah, like, so anyway, it's all about a cam girl. It's all about a cam girl. She meets a guy on Craigslist. Kind of a dated film. Even Craigslist, which is a little bit passe now. But uh, I watched half of that and I decided to stop. But I'm really glad I can see this now on my 60-inch TV as opposed to laptop. And uh, tonight are, I'm going to go watch The Handmaiden. Are you going to finish? The Handmaiden as opposed to... Nah. No? No. 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 It, was, it was laborious. I didn't care. I'm really excited about no, watching. No, right, genuine question. Well, yeah. who who really finishes a porn? All that's my go. that's my genuine well, yeah, question. It fulfills its purpose. <laughs> it fulfills its purpose, and that's what's the, the end. purpose, Ira? Never mind. Let's move on, please. <laughs> but I'm and serious. Those are the do two you, films. Do you, do you masturbate to these and then just stop as soon as you're done? Jeff, tell them to stop. Tell them to stop. Well, I, I was actually curious because <laughs> you also stopped halfway through the Lazarus effect. So. Why did I stop? That's very interesting. Yeah, that was very. <laughs> And yes, Jeff I do. Jeff is not on and my yes, side. He's on the side of truth. Ah, truth. <laughs> um, but that's it. And I know I had more lofty on a previous podcast, like uh, Vivian Meyer, which I was really impressed you mm-hmm. knew who she was. But I thought I'd go a little bit more base this time and watch uh, Not Safe for Work. Don't watch it. Well, maybe for 15 minutes, then you can stop. <laughs> That's my week in review. All right. Well, uh, next up, we're going to talk about, I guess, celebrities who have uh, died I do, this I, week. There's one email thing. We, Was there? May I mention this to you? Sure. Don't worry. I won't even do the shtick. I won't even do the okay. ditty for it. But there's something that our same listener in a previous email wrote at the very bottom. And it ties in with today's podcast. It was a reference to, we brought up the question in a previous podcast about murder, movies, and is war murder? Oh, right. And I think you said yes. I believe I argue I re- yes. You yeah. did. And I wasn't sure about that. And sure enough, somebody did respond. And it was at the bottom of his email to us last week. And he wrote, I don't think killing, and this ties in with the film we're going to be critiquing. I don't think killing on the battlefield during war is ever considered murder unless uh, inflicted by a soldier against an unarmed soldier trying to surrender or a non-combatant citizen. And I kind of agree with that. I don't think that but, killing on a battlefield is murder. Not. I think it is legally. murder. It's state-sanctioned state it, state murder. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not on a legal sense. Right. You're totally right. right. Um, it's one of those. It, it's. It's. It's an interesting question. It is because it gets into the the, the morals ethics, or values yeah. and and the ethics. And it's like my feeling on it is that for the individuals, it's it's no different than uh, than self-defense. If you're on the battlefield, mm-hmm. um, but then you get into the the state sponsored, you know, or the that question. That's the ethical question: is well, what was the reason that they were there? If it's there for a justifiable reason, and it's there to protect or to liberate or that sort of thing, then you can justify it as a as a proper moral or ethical um, 
self-defense um, action, you know, similar to like, you know, if a policeman was to shoot an uh, armed robber or something like that. But it's very well arguable it, whether or not... state-sanctioned murder is what yes, it is. Yeah. That's what you're saying, Rob. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I think I would also say it's also, if, if you are the winner, it's state-sanctioned yes. murder. I mean, if you took like... <laughs> Like the Red Baron, somebody who is really good at, at, at murdering the other side, but all legal and above the board by the rules of war. And they were exceptional at doing their job. But none of, nothing like, you know, extermination camps or anything like that, which, you know, I think we could argue that's a war crime, right? But yeah. let's say there's no war crimes going on, but you're really, really good at it. But your side loses the war. I think you would be labeled a murderer by the, by the winning side of the war. Does that make sense? Yeah. I understand what you're saying. I don't know if I agree, but I understand it. You're I making think they, a very logical, I think they would label you as I a wonder. murderer. As a villain, you know, because you were so effective at, at murdering other people. Yeah, interesting. I just wanted to share that with you. And again, it tied into our, our theme today. All right, shall we move on? Yeah. And you know what, Robert? Yeah. It's time for Vern. Lay him in right now. No, not yet. Is it what we're doing? No, no Actually, that's we save him for the... We've got a guest Oh, here. we're going to do it with him. Okay. All right, the dead corner? Yeah. So, no, so Okay, Jeff, here's what we got. We have a little something for you to read, oh. and um, it's a it's a poem. And producer Joe's Joe going to hand it It's to you. quite eloquent. Yeah, and what we it's like, very well written, isn't it? <laughs> and we'd like for you to read this with feeling. All uh, right, Jeff, just uh, show him which one. Can you point to it? This is and dead also corner. it's the um, the sentences that are bracketed. Only the ones that have brackets around them. All right, now with feeling, Jeff. With feeling, you're going to just read those sentences. Yes, okay. yes, just the bracket. I want to see just method the, the dead corner here. poem. Here we go. <clears throat> okay. And now, the moment we have to say, the following people passed away. Gotta tell you, unfortunate we must, the following people have turned to dust. Wow. Them words, good words. We'll never use that again. Ah, thank you. you. (laughs) All right, who Uh, died this week, Ira? uh, Jeff, I wrote that. Oh, did you? Nice. Yeah, I did. I hope I didn't butcher it too much. No, no. There's a reason I'm behind the camera. It was lofty. (laughs) You did did lofty. Following people I want to acknowledge... um, some are more well-known than others, but they're all legitimate valid people who have been involved in our industry have passed away this week. Alina Jankowska, 94, Polish actress. I also want to mention Richard Wolf, 59, Swedish actor. His voice as a singer was in Lion King. A few other people passed away in the last few days, including the following. This happened today, you guys, and it was a, um, a British cinematographer, actually... They labeled him as a cinematographer, but he was really a camera operator. At 54 years old, Mark Milsom, and he was a camera operator in Saving Private Ryan, uh, The Theory of Everything, Quantum of Solace. And, you know, I did research. I dug mm-hmm. into this. It was an accident on the set. I was going to ask, stu- yes, 54. Look at his I mean... age, 54. And it was really mysterious because I read a lot of articles because I wanted to be prepared for this podcast. Yeah. And they were all vague and nebulous. And one article said... we. It's, they're not even saying what happened. So at this point in time, we don't know any more information. But Shit. it was indeed an accident on the set filming a stunt. The camera operator. I love that uh, you you know me well enough. When I see fifty four, oh, I go, that's a red flag. Something's up. Something happened. Why did he die at yeah, fifty four? Yeah, and I wanted to have the answer exactly what happened. So look at these films. Camera operator. You know, theory of everything. Quantum of Solace. So wow. we'll, I'm yeah. sure we'll know more in a few days. Charles Manson, obviously. Involved in the industry, not really, but so infamous, I decided to include him 89 years old, 83 years old. We can the make that The subject of a lot of films, subject right? of a lot of films, documentaries. Did you happen to read the book 
uh, by Elter Vincent Bugliosi. No, I did Elter not. Skelter. I, I did. did you, are you familiar with it, Jeff? I'm familiar. I haven't read it, It was though. a very compelling, detailed, written book. Did you ever read uh, The Stranger Beside Me? No. That's a really good one. It's about Ted Bundy, and uh, it was by uh, a woman who worked at a suicide prevention hotline next to Ted Bundy, and she was a freelance writer. She'd been hired to write about all of these murders that had been going on, and so she was on the search for who's been murdering these people, and it was her friend Ted. Jeez. Oh, isn't that crazy? And she was actually somewhat instrumental in getting him caught. Uh, she started to suspect him after a while, and she was like, "Wow, this is fucking weird." And then she called the police, and um, and then he fled, and then they then they started the chase. And after that, you know, she actually remained uh, friends with him once he got. You know, he escaped prison like twice. Did he really? Yeah, I didn't know that. He physically broke yeah, out. He broke out of, of jail twice. Yeah. One time he got caught. How did he do that? One time, uh, okay. other than the sheets going out the window, and that's no. a cliche. But one, how? one time he uh, climbed up. There was an air conditioning vent in the ceiling, and he was able to get out through there, and then over the the bars into the the other part of the jail where he was able to escape. And then another time, it was during court, and he called for like a recess and asked to go see something because he was a lawyer, and he went to the uh, the law library. And while he was in there, the windows were open, and he jumped out the window from the second story and ran away, stole a car, and drove to Florida. And that's when he killed a bunch of other people. Wow. Because we hear this too often, inmates escaping. Yeah. And I can't wrap my head, brain Bundy around did it. how and that could happen. Bundy was brilliant. I mean, he was really smart, which makes it even more terrifying. Like, what a piece of shit. Wow. Wow. Charles Manson, obviously, to a link as far as... Including him on this list with Sharon Tate yeah. and mm-hmm. ending Sharon Tate's life with the Tate LaBianca murders and so on. Um, and let's keep in mind, too, Charles, a lot of people say a murderer. And, well, he's not. He never he murdered anyone. He did not murder anyone ever. He masterminded. He masterminded these murders. Although oh, some people think really that the, murder. the first murder, you know, there was a guy. A lot of people say that he actually did murder somebody. Is that right? Yeah. The, the very first murder that there was a sword that this guy got killed with. And that was the very beginning of how it all started to unravel was this first murder. And they were able to tie in some of the clues that they had learned from this first one. And it was over drug money. And uh, he had sent somebody, I think it was, it wasn't Tex Watkins, but it was somebody else. Maybe it was Tex, but he sent somebody over there to take care of it. And then um, a lot of people think that that he showed up and actually did kill the guy and had someone else take credit for it. Got it. I used to think Squeaky Fromm was cute. Yeah. There was, <laughs> look at, look at there was one or two that, that yeah, were yeah. pretty hot. Yeah, I know. So they shaved their heads and put swastikas on their forehead. So what? She was cute anyway. Well, you're, you're Jewish. You're used to that look, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm used to that. Yeah. 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 You know, shaving I wear that look. Yeah. All empowered and yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So much for Charles Manson. We're done with him. And I do want to mention. Thank goodness, I, man. I, yeah, yeah. Look, can I just say. Yes. How long have, have we been paying? Yeah, I our know. Ta- taxpayers have been paying for this piece of shit to be alive for Agreed. how fucking long? Agreed. He got the death penalty in the 1970s and then escaped it because they changed the, the regulations right. on it. That's right. And then they change it back. Yep, that's right. I'm, like, I, I, I'm all about like letting people live and I'm never advocating for death. But this guy's a real piece of work. And or I, it, it, it upsets Robert, me. Robert, he simply misunderstood. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we lost Della Reese. Della Reese, 86 years old. 
not known primarily as a film actress. However, I wanted to include her here. We know her certainly as a singer. I remember her variety show. I used to watch that when I was a kid, liked it a lot. She was in films. She was in Harlem Nights, and she was also in Beauty Shop with Queen Latifah. Hmm. She's done movies, a real strong personality, and um, oh, also uh, Touched by an Angel. She yeah. was in that, too. So she certainly did a lot. She passed away the other day. and we I lost was Touched by an Angel. You were, yes, well, yeah, your, your fiancé. No, no his, his name was Angel. <laughs> he touched me. It was a sad moment in my life. Uh, gang, we lost, so lost just a little while earlier tonight. Uh, Kirk Douglas, he passed away. Kirk Douglas? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. So, yeah. How old was he? Old. 99? I think. I, I think, think he was over 100. Was he over 100? Yeah. 100. Like, there's a difference. <laughs> like, yeah. there's a difference. But, you yeah. know, I Golden think, age. Don't you change age. as you get older, you know? Well, you become more of what you are. Uh, oh. Well, don't we well, always? Yeah. I mean, wait. Yeah. But. What were you saying? Don't we change? I, I, would, I think I can make the argument that you became you become well, you less get, of what you were. No. Well, you become more of what you are and what you're meant to be. You're you get hair hair in your ears. So in that regard, so we're you all meant to be hairy in the ears. Yeah. Yeah. I love it's that. It's part of the aging process, right? <laughs> um, I'm I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the dead corner. All right. Well, uh, I guess there's nothing left to do for us yet except for talk about Frey. Let's do it. All right. So. Now, I'm, we've kind of had the lead in, Jeff. Now we got to talk about Freight. Tell us how it all began. Um, you already told us about where the, the origins of the idea happened. How did you get funding? And uh, before yeah. we do that, well, maybe, before, maybe we should walk us I, through the story. Okay, yeah? I, first of all, one of my key questions was obviously where did the germ come from? But you sort of already oh. told us it was a cousin, it was a relative. And something I'm really curious about, we should say that Jeff wrote this, you're the sole writer and the director. And something I'm curious about is, Knowing that it was hopefully going to get made, did you write it in a certain way, really, for yourself to help with the... Do you see what I'm asking? Oh, what yeah. was, the, was there an element layered in the screenplay that was really personalized for you to help with the direction? Does that make sense? It does. Um, it was actually almost the exact opposite of that, though. I, it was... It was actually the laziest script I've ever written. Um, <laughs> it, Guy is sad. Done! Brilliant! Exactly. It was like I'm going to interrupt you. Did you have the funding prior to writing it, or is it after? Um, after okay. it was, uh, yeah, and it was you know it was never intended to be a big budget or even a medium budget film. It was always going to be um, it's one of those things you know you've been struggling for so long. You're just like I'm going to make a film this year, one way or another, and uh, so it was kind of just written. You know, it's a very simple story um, in terms of the the logistics of it. And so it was one that um, when I wrote it, I just kind of wrote, here's what I need to know for it. Here's the dialogue that we need to know. Um, I knew Brian was going to be the lead actor. So even in terms of script direction for his character, um, there wasn't a lot. It was, there were entire scenes that were literally just, uh, you know, Justin walks down the road mm -hmm. and um, that sort of stuff. And then... There were also um, people in it who were uh, non-actors, and I kind of knew that because going into it, I knew I wouldn't, we were going to be shooting in Oregon. wasn't going to be able to fly out, you know, 30 great actors from New York, so I figured I'd be working with some non-actors in it, just some locals. And so for those, I just would write in kind of the gist of what I needed to happen in the conversation, but I knew it was going to be improvised because... You know, when you work with non-actors, you don't give them lines to memorize because they'll destroy them. What was the Jeff. decision to shoot in Oregon? Um, I always loved the coastal mountains of Oregon. Uh, I 
find them both beautiful and hauntingly depressing, mm. uh, and especially a lot of the logging towns around there um, that have not had a good economy ever, but especially over the last 20, 30 years. And so there's just these beautiful little towns uh, in these incredibly epic spaces. And I also, um, in terms of kind of the visual storytelling of it, I, I wanted, because I'd spent some time with some vets who had kind of disappeared into the woods and were just living out of their cars in the woods and stuff like that. I wanted to really go into the deep woods. And in terms of, <clears throat> you know, the forest in the Northwest, there's nothing in this country that I feel is just a more overwhelming forest. Mm. And so getting that visual and then the mix of it, which was in the script of him having a job at a wood mill and this visual symbolism of him in the woods, these tall, strong, beautiful trees that you're seeing fed through the mills and, um, you know, a little heavy handed symbolically, but right. um, seeing these beautiful trees um, destroyed through this industrialized process um, very similar to our um, military industrial complex yeah. and um, what they do to these strong uh, men and women. So, um, so that was where I wanted to be, and I just—it's an area that I always loved visually. Right, and wanted right. to shoot there. So you knew the main lead. Uh, yeah. I'm, were you friends with him, and you had him in mind while you were? It was written oh, totally. with him in mind. Yeah. And that helped you with the writing process. It was. I'd met him years ago. He's still to this day the best audition I've ever seen uh, for another short film I did called Cult of Eden about an apocalyptic religious cult, um, dark comedy, and he played this uh, false prophet cult leader who uh, just liked being able to manipulate people. Um, but his audition just blew me away. I always joke with him. He was actually on my. Uh, my list of like, you know, for the auditions, uh, you know, my favorites and there's my maybes. He was at the bottom of my maybe list. He hmm. was not even really in the running, wow. but his audition just blew me away. He's one of the best actors I'll probably ever have the privilege of working with. And so I wrote this knowing that I had an actor that could pull it off. Right. If I didn't have an actor that could pull it off, this film would have been a disaster. And did you have auditions for the other roles as well? I did, yeah. yeah. Um, for all yeah. the others. So it was only the lead that you had locked in. Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, for all the others, had auditions. And a lot of them were uh, local actors out in Portland. Marissa was from New York. Um, but all the other actors were locals from Portland. And how long was the shoot? It was four weeks. Uh, it was a 20, uh, 22-day shoot. And then, of course, a couple of days off here and there. And uh, we had, like, I went out there for a tech scout and some pre-pro stuff for a week, uh, about two months before we shot. And then two weeks before, uh, Jody Redmond, who was the producer on it, uh, she and I were out there for two weeks doing all the pre-pro to get it up and running. Um, Matt Bucard, who's a local, who came on board, also helped out for like a week of that and was there through Are the Are you just shoot. reading off the Wikipedia page we gave you? For uh, I'm actually not. No, that's actually off the top of my head. I, st yeah. I do remember, I do remember some, uh, some things. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we were out there for, um, yeah, it was about a 26-day shoot, uh, all said and done. And With then, like reshoots and stuff? No, we actually didn't have any reshoots, oh, wow. surprisingly. Um, partly out of cost and just accepting that this is the film I shot mm. and make it work. Well, let me um, let me ask some film nerd questions. Sure. So uh, what kind of camera did you shoot on? We shot on a DSLR. It was this the uh, 1D okay. Mark IV. And the thing I love, it actually came out right, right before the film started and thing I loved about the 1D is it is meant for like, it's the same camera that a lot of 
uh, war correspondents, uh, war reporters and photographers would use. It can handle the elements. You can it can take a beating. It's it was like indestructible. Yeah. Um, and also has a slightly smaller sensor than the 5D, so it's more of a super 35 as opposed to the full frame sensor of the 5D. So it's got a little bit more of a cinema look as opposed to the still photo look. Yeah, we shot ours on a 5D. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, they're you know, Canon really just changed the game with that uh, that yeah. era of cameras. Um, because before that, it, my only other options would have been a RED camera, mm. um, an Alexa, something like that, which one, budget-wise, would have been a huge thing. You need more crew. And then again, shoot out in the elements. I mean, we're shooting out in the coastal mountains of Oregon in March. There's going right. to be a lot of rain, a lot of, you know. And a lot of the shoot, it was literally Jaron, you know, my cinematographer, Matt, the, uh, the local who came on and just wore every hat that wasn't DP and director. And then myself, and I was working as a director sound man on it. Um, and I love playing with sound and have done sound on other films and stuff like that. So it was a really small crew for a lot of this shoot. And then, you know, for the, some of the bigger scenes, more complex ones, we'd have, you know, more fleshed out crew. We'd have, you know, a bunch of other people involved. But we, for such a small operation, those cameras were yeah, you know, they're great. a huge, huge benefit. And we found the same thing with our film is that going back and just shooting... A couple. Of sh- I mean, there were there were times where we were shooting. It was it was literally just me. I'd set things oh. up and then go, you know, perform in front of the camera and then come back and turn it off. But how many stuff oh, was it just Robert, you and I? Right. We, the two of us. We went out I mean, a lot. We had all the dozens. stuff in your car. Yeah. Driving to the site, you had all the props there, and yeah. we were just doing a lot of pickup shots. Yeah. Uh, just the two of us. But yeah, Robert and went I out think on his own. It's a, a testament to that camera that it you is. can do so much with it, and the optics look so good. I mean, Canon lenses yeah. are just so yeah. beautiful. Actually, um, I use Nikon's. Well, oh. never mind that. No, I, I love <laughs> Canon lenses. I mean, I... Well, uh, Canons are great. I used... Uh, we used... Um, this was Jaren's uh, call on it, and it was a brilliant choice. We used uh, vintage Nikon lenses mm. uh, from, like, the 60s, um, and it just gave it this, like, nice kind of, like, glow and this aesthetic that... Because uh, that was always the issue with the DSLR footage. Um, I was finding is like, it looked amazing, but there was still something about it. it had this DSLR look, and it was, and it's, in, you see it with a lot of digital cameras. Even when you're shooting high end and you're using like some beautiful lenses, um, there's something about bringing in those vintage lenses that gives it a little bit more character. You get, you know, the there's just a look to it that we really liked, and so that was we did do that one different thing. We hmm. had the the vintage lenses with a little adapter onto the Canon. So what was the total budget for the film? Um, we pulled off the entire shoot for just over 40K. Okay. Um, which is obscenely low. Right. And then, um, you know, uh, and especially, you know, considering we were shooting, you know, far away in terms of <coughs> housing people, feeding them, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, all said and done between, I did all the posts myself. I did the editing, sound design, um, color correction, all that sort of stuff. I had the audio mastered professionally, mm-hmm. uh, but the whole mix I did myself. And um, and then, of course, the festivals, all that. It ended up being close to about 100K budget. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little short of that. Right. And how, so, how did you get the 40000 Fortunately, working in commercials and living very modestly for a while. <laughs> it was your money. It was all mine. It was all your money. Yeah, it was all self-financed wow. um, the whole way through. And uh, big thanks to some of my clients. <laughs> So did um, you, I mean, yeah. the the film was originally released in 2012, and we're talking about it now because it's been doing 
so yeah. well. It just had this weird resurgence, right? It did. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to say no. weird, but I mean, it, oh, you, it is. It is kind Absolutely. of odd, right? I, I figured at this point it was just, it had gone into retirement. It was living off of Social Security at this point. And it's, um, yeah, it's been amazing. It's 2012 is when we did the festivals. And, you know, I mean, when I finished this film, first off, it was a, not only did it come out in 2012, we shot it in 2010. It was a two-year post, um, hmm. post-production because I was working a lot. And then also, I have a weird editing thing if, with my own projects. I have to get to a point where I completely despise everything I did about it. And that way I have no fear with cutting scenes, chopping stuff to shreds. And, and um, so that, that was a long process. And it came out in 2012. And I was fully expecting it to go nowhere, just like some of my shorts had not really mm-hmm. gone anywhere. And so I didn't even submit to like any of the top tier festivals. But, um, and submitted to over 60 festivals in the U.S. We got rejected from all but three. And <laughs> then the three that we got into, we won the top prize. So, which was kind of surprising. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nice. It was like either we, we got rejected or we won. Um, <laughs> and then it did well in like a lot of uh, European festivals. Uh, UK did great. But then it was a two-year process to get distribution. Um, and we had a producer. She had gotten in with some, some pretty uh, notable people in the industry. And so she got a... Uh, sales agent on board who was helpful about trying to get a lot of you know larger distributors interested in it again I didn't expect it to get you know anything major um, but she got some interest from some bigger ones but indie rights is who we went with um, I just really liked their attitude they seemed very sincere they were a smaller one um, especially at the time but um, just great attitude and yeah then it came out and it started off fine and it's always performed okay but for some reason, last December, it just started Blowing spiking up. Yeah. in the U.S. on Amazon, and it rose by the summer. It was uh, it was in the top fifteen war and military films on Amazon. I mean, it was above Platoon. It was above above Saving Private Ryan. It was two notches down from Apocalypse Now, and uh, which was just mind boggling to me. That's cr- and yet there's nothing you can attribute that to. All I can attribute it to is word of mouth, just this like snowball effect. Like if you go through and you read the reviews, and I've gotten a lot of emails and letters from combat vets who have been in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, and even uh, Vietnam vets, um, their families, loved ones, and so many of them would write saying, I'm sharing this with everyone I served with or with all the families of those I know or um, that sort of thing. And so many of them were sharing. It. I think it just had this exponential growth from this grassroots movement because my social media skills are terrible. It wasn't coming <laughs> from anything I do promotionally. Um, but it was really this grassroots movement uh, that really started lifting it. And, um, and then with that, you know, with Amazon's algorithms, the higher you get, the more they start promoting it. And it also helps when you're on the first or second page. Right, a lot more, more people, people. going to see it. Exactly. And even though there's nobody famous in it and they've never heard of it, they figure, Why not? well, if it's between Platoon yeah. and Apocalypse Now, i got to give it a shot. And then they'd, you know, they'd read the reviews and see that, you know, when you see a ton of reviews and so many of them are from people who have served who are talking about this film gets it right, um, that's a real, uh, you know, trigger for Strong a lot of people. Strong yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's tough to get, it's, there's not much better you could do for a recommendation than somebody who lived it saying this is what it 
what my story so, is. So, did you were you able to make money off the film? It's actually made its money back. Okay. Shockingly enough, and it's basically turning profitable um, about now. Wow. Um, yeah. Like, Congrats. Really, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I never expected to make a dime off this thing. I figured I was flushing that money away by just doing something I believed in. Yeah. So, I mean, I really thought it was going to be on YouTube for like five people to up, like five friends to watch it, upvote it, and then it would die in obscurity. Um, so I never expected any of this from it. But you know what? Even even if that were the case, I, I you and I have talked about this before, which is that you're part of a collective uh, voice of filmmakers at that point and even if it is only five friends that watch or even just you that makes it if you're releasing it you're making a film and i think that's that's part of what we've talked about on this podcast too is just that's that's really the hardest part and it's really easy for people to sit on the couch and keep thinking and oh man i wish i wish i wish and you're waiting for someone else to come along and tap you on the shoulder and say here's a bunch of money go make the movie you want but i mean you got to go make a film and that's the hard part of getting up off the couch and doing it. It is, and I've even seen people who've had short films that were very successful, um, that have done really well with the festival circuits, yeah. that never made their a feature, and then we're talking like 10, 15 years later now from when their short did so well, and it's because they never got that big contract, that big um, budget to work with, and they had all these expectations that this short film would get them there. Right. And... Um, I guess maybe fortunately none of my short films ever got that kind of attention. <laughs> I, but you and know, so, it's weird that you're saying that, but I think that's actually, I think you're right. It's kind of a, it's a hidden blessing to not, um, I mean, it, it, it's weird because I know exactly what you're saying. I can rattle off four or five people the exact same way who were getting into Sundance and a lot of the top tier festivals at the time and haven't made their feature yet. And they're still kind of working on it. They're still you know, tinkering with ideas and things like that. And, and, in the back of my mind, I'm realizing it's, this is a, a dream that's starting to fade for them. And yeah. um, I think, I, I don't know, I re, uh, you and I have talked a lot about our follow-up film. And, and it, it's easier, I think, once, once you have one on the can to say, okay, we've Absolutely. done it. Now we Absolutely. know what needs to happen right. for the next one. Right. Yeah. Well, the learning curve and everything else. And there's a momentum. Right. There's just a momentum that's going on. The name of our podcast is, is, is you know, it's Anti-Wave. And this is certainly an anti-wave film. Yeah. Uh, your lead is not traditionally... A, um, a a nice guy. He's certainly troubled, but yeah. he's someone the audience cares about. There's compassion, but he's not John Wayne. He's not John <laughs> Wayne and, and so on. Did you wrestle with that issue at all about your lead not being particularly likable? Yeah, I did. In fact, there's a lot of elements of this film that went counter to everything that I thought about in terms of like a proper narrative story arc or proper storytelling i mean the lead character is not a not a warm friendly person um he's dealing with a lot of issues he's and he's surrounded by people who actually are warm and friendly right right and so that was really one of the hardest parts and that's again where brian's performance and just brian naturally was such a great fit for it as someone who we can even talk about this in our personal lives someone who sometimes may be a little infuriating but you still love him mm. um he's still a wonderful human being and you you see that good in him and um and so was, that was where and i mean they they always say casting is you know 90 percent of uh, right. filmmaking of making a great film is having a great cast and so that was essential to it um but it was it was a struggle to write that and because i had spent i mean overall i spent on and off you know, in my free time, two years with a lot of, a lot of uh, 
young vets that were, you know, in that place and hearing their stories and seeing how they go through life, the frustrations they have. Um, that was my main focus was telling the story that was authentic to what was their lived experience. Right. And so I knew that was a story I had to tell, but it, it was, it was definitely the exact opposite of, you know, he's not even like the anti-hero type. He's just, he's just, um, well, one thing that I noticed too, and I, I hope you, and if he listens to this, he doesn't take offense at, but he's not conventionally handsome. And I, I mean that as a compliment to both of you, he's not, um, Channing Tatum, you know, it's not someone, and, and that always bumps me when I see that in films. It's so unrelatable. Everybody's too pretty. And yeah. then it starts to kind of pull me out. And I, I disconnect from a lot of the characters right. anyway. But he was rugged the way he'd have to yes. be. He was rugged looking. Right. Being a yeah. Marine. Right. Which is what you needed. Yeah. He and, and you know, uh, Brian had actually been a hockey player for, uh, for years. Uh, like junior, He was like junior Olympic hockey player. Uh, never turned pro. But, um, you know, so he had that like really physical athletic physique so he was a convincing marine um and yeah he's got he's like you know he's a good looking guy but he's right. not hollywood handsome. right yeah that's right. what i mean right that. yeah and so he's got that realism to it and <laughs> he's got, he's gonna see me in the street he, and be like hey yeah. you dick yeah. <laughs> exactly i'm fucking ugly yeah. or what yeah if he listens to this he's gonna hate all of us yeah. now yeah we're all fucked um, we're all fucked <laughs> and he's he's a hockey player that means he knows how to fight too yeah okay. yeah, he's gonna yeah kick he, my he, ass he totally no but I, I, yeah, I hope he understands what i mean i mean yeah. I, I, it's not it's, that he's ugly it's that he, he's not conventional hollywood no, it's like also, he's not like rock hudson that's what you're right, saying right 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 well and also honestly a lot of that because he he honestly can be like when he's cleaned up and you know i've shot a lot of like fashion stuff and a lot of times when the model shows up on set you think oh this is like the ace like if it's a male model you think it's like oh this is probably my ac or this female model like you know whatever like you don't realize they're the model until they've been through two hours of hair and makeup and they step out and you're like oh yeah that's the model um and so he's one of those like it was also a little a lot of it was a styling it was Mm. um you know and he'd also he literally just flown back he'd been doing a two-month run in on a play in london uh, where he it was like a, a two-person show that he was doing in London and the um, whatever their version of Off-Broadway is. And so he was exhausted. He was like worn out. So he really was in that That's perfect good. place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he also shared a hotel room with me and I apparently have a terrible snoring habit. So he was <laughs> very poorly rested through that whole shoot. So. <laughs> did, did, did you shoot this film in, in order? Was it in continuity or not? Oh God, no. No, it was so... I mean, we'd be doing in one day we would hit every section of the script it was completely out of order um fortunately that was also uh jojer uh who was on board for like the first two weeks was really keeping tabs of of that Mm. uh for us and then uh matt bucard took over on just keeping us like like matt where am i right now in the script i don't even know what we're shooting and uh he would like find it in the script and get it to me and stuff like that so we so brian and i and and jaron even on a cinematography level, all kind of knew, okay, this is where we're at. And even things like going from a wide shot to a close-up, sometimes they, those were a week apart. Um, oh, wow. Just depending on the circumstances of that day. Anything so. in the way of rehearsals? Yeah. Um, it was tough because, again, Brian was in London um, up until about a... I mean, I actually put... I was planning to shoot the film in February. We ended up pushing it back to March because of his play um, got extended. And so... Uh, we shot it in March, and we had about a week of rehearsals. And the hotel we were, shoot- we were staying at, um, they let us use their conference room. 
and so we were doing the rehearsals uh, with the actors in there. Funny little side story. Uh, the guy who was the manager there, he's kind of a gruff, grumpy guy. And he came in one time. He's like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I just had to ask, have you guys been reading my diary? And I was like, no. He's like, Cause everything that's happening right now is like my daily life. Come to find out he was, uh, he was an army ranger who had been one of the first, uh, first waves sent into Afghanistan after 9-11. Oh, shit. And so we got to talk with him. And yeah, he, he ended up, uh, you know, being a real huge help uh, during some of the rehearsals. I'm sure. Because he could throw in his two cents. So, yeah. Wow. I, I want to compliment you, too. Not just your lead, but the support cast. I thought yeah. they were terrific. I thought the girlfriend was very natural. Yeah. She was, she was quite Where'd wonderful. Where did you find her? Where did you find her? She was in New York at the time, and um, she was actually somebody who had been taking some acting classes with Brian. So even though he did auditions for that role, she was always kind of the one I was most interested in because they already had a working relationship together, mm-hmm. and they'd done a lot of stuff in acting class together. So they had that chemistry already. I think it showed. Yeah. Exactly. And that was, there were some other good actresses that I looked at who probably could have done it, but I, the fact that she already had that chemistry with she's him. She's very natural. She is. Yeah. And she's a great actress. She really is. Um, she's actually out here in L.A. now, too. Um, but uh, that helped. And then also be, because of the rehearsal schedule being so tight, that was also a huge help because they had to build that camaraderie, that, that intimacy between the two of them. And knowing I was only, only going to have Brian for a week before we started shooting, and all of her stuff was first, because uh, um, you know I could only keep her out there for a very short period of time. Right. So we had to get all of her stuff done first. So I knew he needed to have they needed to have that relationship already down. So that was also kind of part of the the, the draw of having her on there was that. Let me ask you a question, Jeff. Looking back on the film now, it's been a little bit of time. When was the last time you saw the film? Actually, I watched it. Again, recently, because uh, I recut a new trailer uh, for um, this recent Veterans Day. So I watched it maybe like three weeks ago. When you watched it again, and it, had it been a little while since you seen it? a long time, yeah. So when you watched it, is there anything that strikes you as something you wish you could go back and fix? All of it. What? Um, what's, the, what's the one thing? You get oh one chance to go back and fix something. What I mean, bothers you the most? What would it be? Um, honestly, it's my, the dialogue I wrote, there's a couple of, there's, there's places in there where it feels a little too clunky and heavy handed. Hmm. I would love to be able to go in and like polish that stuff up. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let me do the, the inverse of that question. I, that's my next, Uh, I I love it. I love, we're, we're, what are you most proud of? What element in that film are you super proud of? There's a few moments in it, and this is, and both of them are, are great friends, but uh, there's a few moments in it where Brian's character, Justin, doesn't, he's not saying anything, especially like the hilltops, and it's just Brian's pure, powerful acting in this like subtle, beautiful acting with Jaren's just mind-blowing cinematography, and those are the moments that still, as much as I've seen this film a thousand times, if not more. Um, and when I look at it, I see nothing but flaws and failure. Um, <laughs> those are those moments that still really hit me and will even bring a tear to my eye. Um, they're just powerful, perfect moments. 
So it's and it's really. It's, is there any one in particular? One moment? It is. Um, it's the the second time he's up on top of the the hilltop, and it's he's got all the clear cut forest around him, and he's just looking off, and that snow's coming down, and it's both a mixture of it was really fucking cold, <laughs> and it's part of his performances. His eyes are just slightly teared, and it's just. It's Brian's acting at its best. It's so powerful. I mean, he doesn't even move. He doesn't even have an expression, and yet he's still telling you everything that you need to know, and you're feeling it in that scene. And then again, Jaron's shot choice, the way he captures it, is just so perfect that that moment still just sends a chill through my spine. It, mm. It'll bring a tear to my eye. One of the things that we do on this show is we talk about what we call money shots. And, um, and usually we don't have the director in the in studio but in your situation uh i think it's gonna be kind of interesting to know what your money shot is money shots are the shots that you think about with when you think about the film five years from now what will be the image that kind of uh you know that sums the whole film up what what are you gonna what shot is gonna be what really sticks out in your head are there any shots like that oh, for definitely you? um there's without a doubt there's one shot it's the end of the tra uh, both trailers i've cut even when uh, I was doing the festival circuit, and the festivals would cut together a trailer of like all the films they were going to show. Mm -hmm. At three of the festivals, it was the final shot of the festival reel uh, trailers. Um, I think I know which one you're going to do because I think it's mine too. It's the one where he walks out from the forest yep, and has a clear cut. Yeah, and that one, we were location scouting. If you want to hear the backstory, please. On it? Yeah, so we we're location scouting, and we're trying to find that shot. Like I had it in my mind, you know, because again, symbolically, the forest. Do you know which one we're talking cut. about? I do now. Okay. I do, yeah. I do. And so we're trying to find it, and I, I was done. And Jaron, Jaron he's, he's, this is another reason I love him. He's like just, he's so persistent. He's an amazing photographer who will do like a five week uh, backpacking trip through like Madagascar with like two or like six rolls of film and just get like the perfect shots. Like he's, he's a master of that. And so he, he's like, saw this little dirt road, and he's like, let me see what's down there. So he goes down the dirt road and he comes running back. So he got to see this. We go running. It's actually private property, but we go on there. And it was, it was that spot. And so that day we were shooting a bunch of other stuff and we knew we needed to go and get that shot. And so it was a hell of a drive to get there from where we were at. That was, that was the problem with it. It was nowhere near anything else we were shooting, but uh -huh. we're driving there and there's this hailstorm that comes and then it goes away. I'm like, oh, that would have been perfect. And then another one comes and like these like little two-minute hailstorms that keep coming by and so just floor we get up there and we're on there and we're getting set up and we see there's another one coming and there's after that it's just sunlight and so it's like our last little hailstorms coming through and i'm just yelling at brian like where to go i'm just like you know where to you know go from there to there and jaron's getting the shot set up and as he's getting set up like the the storm starts to hit and literally start rolling told brian you know action and he's he does that walk out from the trees and down the street and we got it in that one take and the storm passed and it turned all sunny and happy right after that. Yeah. Wow. And um, instead we have this beautiful shot of like this hail coming down with like these light rays up over the hills behind right. him and just that epic wall of trees that just looks like it's just been shaved yeah. um, by God. It just goes on forever. Yeah. Yeah. That That's a beautiful, beautiful shot. That's definitely my money shot for the film as well. Huh. If I, I mean, if for no other reason, and I, this movie, I like this movie, if for no other reason, that shot alone is worth watching <laughs> this film. It's so beautiful. It's a great shot. And just like symbolically, it's like everything that 
you know, symbolically it summarizes right. the whole film. I so, also the the last shot of the film, right? I, I believe yeah, it's right. the last shot, but it's definitely the last scene. Um, there maybe is another shot afterwards, but the uh, you know the the unloading of the gun and that really uh, that hit home with me too, yeah. and that's gonna stay in my head. And that was the most miserable shot to get, um, but it was it was, and that was actually that was one that we did shoot in order. That was the last day of shooting. Mm. Um, Why do you say it was miserable? It was really cold, and within about a two hour period, it rained, hailed, and snowed. Um, and then, like, sound-wise, there was, like, a bunch of frogs croaking out there that were messing up sound. And we were shooting. You don't see it. But we were all standing in about a foot-and-a-half-deep mud pit. Um, like, Jaron and I are in this just thick, nasty mud. We actually had to put a bunch of, um, like, sticks and twigs and, and foliage down so that when Brian walked to that spot, he didn't sink into a mud pit. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. I was literally... I was sitting in the mud, actually, to get sound and not be in the shot so i was sitting in the mud for that take those and were frogs huh? yeah those are frogs in the I, background i thought they were birds did you hear that this yeah. sound yeah and I, I was aware of that of hearing animal yeah. noise in the background yeah it ends up working but yeah. it's uh yeah it was a, we did and there's so many takes of that one and not performance wise it was more for, for jaron because jaron's operating that walking backwards handheld over very rugged terrain right and trying to keep focus and all that. And then it's a Ever, long Ever, you know take. about walking backwards. We did that in one of Before our shots. <laughs> yeah, he made me walk backwards. I have trouble walking forwards. <laughs> <laughs> you can trot backwards. <laughs> what was your money shot? I had a money shot. And again, often money shots are near the end of the film by nature yeah. of what the film is. And so, um, and that would be one of mine as well. However, there was a moment when um, she, the girlfriend, spends the night and uh, she wakes up and he's not in the bed. She, well, he has an anxiety attack, and she goes in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and all she does is put her arms around him and mm. starts kissing his back. And I felt that it was a very affecting moment. That was a money shot for me. That's nice. I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. See? That's you're you're sweet. looking at me. It is. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to find a woman who will do that for me. You're such a romantic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so I think this is this is now going to be the you know, awkward part for you, but I think but, we have to rate the film, right? Yeah, I just want to squeeze in one thing. Okay. Congratulations. Yes. I want to say, you know, it was, I didn't know it was your own money. That was really (laughs) impressive. And the fact that you, A, made a film, B, that it was a damn good movie. Also, for you, getting the accolades from vets, that's real powerful stuff. And I'm convinced that we're all here to touch people. And man, are you touching people along the way? Well, We're all touched by angels. Wait, stop it. I'm being oh. serious right now. Look at look how that must feel for you, that gratification that it's being seen and people reacting that way. Congratulations, man. Yeah, That's for sure. And it, it, like I was saying, I think it's it's great that you've not only done a film that has uh, fulfilled your mission statement of trying to do something that impacts people in a positive way, but also just being part of the feature film community, right? That's so fucking cool. It is. It's crazy, and that's. I mean, as an as an artist, as a filmmaker, I mean, all those accolades and stuff are great. But as a as a hu- human being, some of these letters or and stuff that I've gotten from vets, and you know, I'll share them with the cast and crew and stuff like that. I mean, they'll make you tear up. I mean, they'll. It's like a visceral outpouring that they have. It's sure. like therapeutic for them having seen it, and you know, some I got to meet after the screening and stuff like that. Knowing that you touch people like that, it's. I mean, what else could I ever hope to accomplish with my life? Hmm. So, all right. Well, let's right, talk yeah. about our rating. Yeah. All right. I give the movie a D minus. I, <laughs> I couldn't stand this piece of shit. I, 
I kept trying to turn yeah, it off. I had to sit through this thing. Should we? That's very funny. How should we do this rating system? I was wondering, do it letter grades or point um, score? Or how about, were the, what kind of pills were those he was taking? Antidepressants or anxiety? What, you know, what were those I actually pills? have no idea. Well, I just wrote the script. Because <laughs> I was going to say we should do pills. Number of pills? pills. <laughs> well, let's do a letter grade. We've been doing a, a lot of grade. letter right, grades. I'd like you to go first. Okay. Um, so, Jeff, I'm going to be very honest, right? So, I, I think there were... Um, I. You and I, Ira, have talked a lot about pacing, and I really like slow-paced films, and I, I'm drawn towards that. And I know that if someone's listening to this, that if that's a turnoff for you, this is not your cup of tea. And uh, it's something that doesn't move fast. It's slow-paced. It is well-acted. It's got some really nice moments in it, and, um, and I mean that really nice moments. I think some of the shots are gorgeous, and uh, that... that that tree cut shot, I, I was jealous over that. I saw that and went, oh, wow, like I, I, I want to go there and shoot something just to get that shot. Uh, it's really beautiful. Uh, there were, and now I'm going to double attack Jeff, and he's not going to like me anymore. There were a couple of sound issues that yeah. I had, and, um, and I, I noticed a couple of those things that, that pulled me out of the story a little bit. So all in all, I think I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a strong B+. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to give it. I, I was also aware of the sound issues too, some a few sound issues. But um, it, Robert and I have often used the term "the movie breathes." Yeah. That the pace, that it does take its time and it unfolds, and that that's a good thing. Uh, I would give this movie a B plus plus plus. Nice. So much better than my GPA ever was. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Jeff, the question comes to you: What would you give your own film? I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I've. I'm a, I'm honestly my harshest critic. Like it, whenever anybody even says good stuff about it, I kind of wonder what the hell they're thinking about. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, personally, I would give it lower than that. But due to the response it's gotten, I assume that other people may know better. It's kind of like we were talking about earlier about, you know, letting the audience be the judge of your legacy, I guess. Right. Um, and how how your work is considered. So. Um, I think, you know, the B plus is more than fair. Okay. Um, I mean, before like the festivals, before the, the, you know, LA times review came out and all this other stuff has come from it. I would have, I probably would have given it a D. Um, now having experienced it and having gotten to watch it with vets and kind of gotten their feedback, I'd, I'd give it a healthy B at, um, at this point personally, hmm. but yeah, I like that. I like yeah. I like when someone's yeah. honest about their own shit. It. By the yeah. way, is uh, is the girlfriend Marissa Costa? Is she uh, single? She, no, she actually just got married two months ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's that Mo- got to do wait, with you? The movie now goes down to a C plus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our top five, shall we? Vern, Vern, hit it. And now, wipe off that frown as we present our countdown. We ain't joshing, and this ain't no jive. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. What, so we're, we just, what we're doing this week is we're doing our top five shell shock films. So these are movies where someone is shell shocked, not necessarily over war, right? Right, but this is someone who has has become shell shocked. Right? And of course, the clinical term for that is 
uh, well, P- PTSD, but then they've changed it now to something else, really? right? Did they? Did yeah, they? I think. I googled. It. I thought it was still. I, I think know. that's still widely used, but mm-hmm. I think the name for it, it, it was shell shocked, and then it was. Um, I remember, my mom came in and was talking about this on. Uh, my, my mother was a World War One uh, historian, and okay. so she and her focus was on shell shock. And uh, she came in and talked to us about it. It was, uh, what was it? It was the stare. I think that's what they called it first. The shakes or something like that. There was a hmm. name for it that you, that they got. Then it was shell shock, and then they changed it to PTSD. And then there's like another name for it that's longer now. Hmm. And anyway. Long story short, that's what we're talking about, shell shock okay. movies. Uh, I don't know. You want to begin? I'm going to go first, huh? Yeah, well, All right. you start. Our top What's five, your number five? What would you start with our number five, uh, and then we work five, we four, work three, way two, up. one, and we go to our best, our number okay. one. My fifth one is um, all the Bourne movies, Jason Bourne. Mm. Here we have a guy who's um, in the CIA, and I guess he, uh, an operative, actually an assassin CIA, and he went rogue. He went rogue, and we learn eventually that he... Uh, well, he lost his memory, and he goes through the sweats, and he's not sure of his own identity. And I think that fits in the category all for all the Bourne movies yeah, for sure. of someone who is indeed shell-shocked. Okay. That's my fifth. All right. The Bourne movies. Is all there... the Bourne movies. I Which... didn't lock in one. I didn't. It's just the Bourne friend. I'm Have cheating. you seen all of them? Yeah. I've seen three out of, the f- three out of four. Three? Oh, you didn't the, the see the, the Jeremy there? Renner? That's what I did not okay. see. That's what I did not see. It wasn't see. as bad as people made it out people to be. People made it out to be, yeah. That's all right. All right, what about you? What's your uh, number Actually, five? I almost had that one, yeah. but I went with a different uh, Hollywood one. I went with uh, Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3? I did. Um, and the reason that one, I, the reason I love that one is it's not, it's not even, it's definitely not the best Iron Man movie. It's the, one of the weaker Marvel ones, but I like the fact that they dealt very seriously with the issue of PTSD mm. in a film of that scale that, it reaches, I mean, as much as, you know, mine's gotten a lot of accolades for what it says about PTSD, I've reached one one millionth of the amount of people that Iron Man 3 has reached. Right. And to, to put that honest depiction of it um, out there for such a major audience, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for them doing that. Yeah, that's an interesting, well. I like yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, that. That's a really good number five. Uh, my number five is a movie from, what year was it? Movie from 1978 with uh, Robert De Niro and um, and uh, oh, what's her name? Marilyn, St- Marilyn, Meryl? Meryl Streep. Do you know which movie I'm going with? No, mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, Meryl Christopher Streep. Walken, The Deer Hunter. How could I not have? Have you seen out? The Deer Hunter? Yeah, I haven't seen it twice. Whoa, you haven't seen The Deer Hunter? I oh. haven't. No, Jeff? it's one that should be on my list. Jeff, we're giving you a homework it. assignment. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about slow pacing war PTSD yeah. movies. I'm that, surprised. That's I'm about surprised it. you haven't seen it. Uh, it's a great movie. If you, again, if you like fast paced movies, this is not for you. There are some sequences that are maybe a little more fast paced, but. Uh, you know, the whole first hour is the uh, the big Greek wedding scene, and, and there's a lot of um, just kind of way of life stuff. But there's a scene at the end of this movie where De Niro goes back to try to get Christopher Walken. The whole point was that Christopher Walken says, you know, don't leave me in Vietnam. And then they, they get captured, and, and they're trying to escape, and De Niro gets out and leaves Christopher Walken behind. And he feels guilty about it. He goes back home, and he feels like shit, and he, he can't get it out of his head. So he goes back to Vietnam to get Christopher Walken to try to bring him back to, Pitts, to Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania, wherever it was. And he goes, um, he finds him, and he's playing Russian roulette. 
and that's how he's making money. Christopher Walken is uh, betting for himself that he's always going to win these Russian roulette games. And, and De Niro knows it's only a matter of time before he winds up blowing his brains out. And he comes back and he goes, I, I'm here, man. I got you. Uh, let's go. I'm taking you home now. And Christopher Walken just stares right through him as like he doesn't know who he is. Hmm. And there's a really great acting scene in, in, in that moment where Walken, he spits on De Niro's face. And I say Walken because it's not their characters anymore. It's Walken spitting in De Niro's face. And you can see De Niro lose it for a split second. And uh-huh. he's about to fucking deck Christopher Walken. You, he just, he, it's a blind rage. And uh, supposedly the story behind that is Walken didn't tell De Niro he was going to do that. And De Niro got love pissed. It. Love it. It's, a, it's a great scene. So That's if awesome. you do watch The Deer Hunter, keep an eye out towards that, for that scene. It's a great scene. And watch that moment. Just watch the rage in De Niro's face. It's, okay. it's fantastic. Who directed it? Who directed it was uh, Camino. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then he did uh, Heaven's Gate. That's right, right after. Right after that, yeah. <laughs> Which actually Which is, actually not, is not a bad movie. It just got panned because hey, of this. Hey, ready for this? I feel the same way about Ishtar. It wasn't a bad movie. It was movie. not as bad as people yeah, made it out to be. Yeah. Although Ishtar wasn't great. But no, it but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. bad. Yeah. It was, I've seen much worse, worse there movies. There you go. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I watched uh, number four. Let me say that we sort of have a running policy in our top five that we try not to repeat other films that we preview. I've, do, right. I've cheated a little bit on that one. Okay. I just decided to. Also, I, I wonder if we're going to overlap. I like asking that. We may not this time. I think we might on we one. Might, are we might on one? Yeah. yeah. We did last time on two, but we'll see. You have. I, I know there's one. It's my number four. I think that's the one we okay. might overlap All on. All right. Let's find out. My number four, and it's a film that I mentioned before, but I'm going to mention again. Coming Home. How can I not include Coming Home? 1978 uh, with uh, Jane Fonda, Bruce Stern, John Voight. You know, that I did some research. I didn't realize that both Jane Fonda and... Um, John Voight won Oscars for Best Actor, Actress in that film. I didn't realize that. Hal Ashby, the great Hal Ashby, Haskell Wexler lends the film. Jeff, have you seen Coming Home? Have you seen it? I have not. Jeez, Jeff. (laughs) Jeff, look at the film you're responsible for. You've not seen either of these two movies? My film's been compared to both of them, and I've yet yet not seen them, so... uh... Yeah. And I have an interesting question. Was that a conscious choice on your part to not be influenced? It partly is. I mean, part of it is, honestly, I don't watch... that many movies um it sounds really terrible to say as a filmmaker um but uh, no, i don't think that does sound terrible yeah. i mean i there's some one of the problems that i always saw in film school was that a lot of the filmmakers that were i was going to school with would make movies about other movies you could exactly. tell they had nothing original to say and it was their version of it was a bunch of frat guys in in their version of pulp fiction and yeah. it was like well this, then, how many films are there about the the loser white kid who gets the hot girl at the end? And it's like that's basically all of our wannabe life stories. Right? And yeah, it's it like, doesn't you happen in real life either. No. Yeah, no. We, we need a loser black kid who gets the girl at the end. Come on, exactly. somebody, please. So that's yeah. interesting. To and a large so, extent, it was a conscious yeah, choice. It is. I yeah. try not to be too influenced. Like even, um, I mean, I there's I there's a couple I'd seen, but honestly, like I'd saved a few until after I made the film um, because I didn't want to go into it. I figure if I'm overstepping, if I'm doing something similar, it'll still be in my own voice. Yeah. So, well, so so that's home. my number four, coming home. And again, they both got Oscars for uh, that film. I want to say I saw it recently, and uh, obviously it would fit the category where you know John oh, Boyd yeah. in the wheelchair and everything. Um, the movie looked a little bit dated, a little bit melodramatic, but it was such an important film yeah. when it came out. So I decided Wait, did, to include that. Didn't it kind of push something else out that year at the Oscars. It wasn't real famous for doing that. That it like 
it got all the accolades for the Oscars that year, and there was something else that was a little bit more. Is that right? Kind of, kind of like how Annie Hall kind of pushed out it, Star Wars. It shoved aside what should have won. Yeah, something like that. There were a few films. Interesting. I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. All right. What's your number four there, Jeff? Uh, my number four is. Uh, it's a little, little bit of a controversial one, but at the, I put it in there because at the time I thought it was great, which was The Hurt Locker. Mm. And at the time when I first saw it, um, I'd already done the short film version of Frey that I did as a little experiment. And I'd had the script for Frey, but I hadn't seen, I hadn't obviously made Frey yet. And um, so I watched that one and I was blown away by it. And then I started talking to some of my vet friends and they all told me that film was bullshit and it was garbage. <laughs> um, and that I got everything wrong. Um, but I put it on my list because based on my own first initial reaction and what that did in terms of what I thought of it, and I know that's in a, the effect it did have a lot of audiences, it reached a lot of people, and it did promote a lot of awareness about PTSD, even if it kind of bastardized the reality of it. Um, and it's, it, PTSD was okay with, it was more the way it portrayed the combat, um, what it was like over right. in Iraq. Um, it just is terrible for that. The PTSD it did well with, um, but with um, uh, with the actual experience of combat, it was very factually inaccurate. Yeah. So, All right. Well, that's a good number four. My number four is uh, a movie also about PTSD in terms of uh, uh, military combatants. It's a 1982 movie that started a whole franchise, First Blood. Yes, that's I, a perfect one. Is and that the one, is that the one, one you thought would be on mine? Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. Is it's that on your list? It's one of my scoops. Uh, okay. I mean, first of all, look, Stallone does such a great stare. There's a couple of shots in there where you're, you actually, I mean, he looks like someone who's just checked out, like he's yeah. just gone. And he, I, I bought it. I remember seeing the movie a lot when I was a kid going, this is really fucking good. It is good. Go back and watch that movie again. It actually holds up really, oh, really well. Great. Yeah, and it does have a lot of the same kind of forest stuff that your mm-hmm. film has, like a, a lot of, and just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And I, I buy that he snaps. And I don't know if you know this. Uh, I think we might have talked about it on this podcast before, but the ending, the original ending of the film, um, he shoots himself. He commits suicide at the really? end. Really, we talked about that. Yeah, That's right. If yeah. you and if you have the DVD, the special edition DVD, they shot it even. Uh, wow. And so, and then they tested it for audiences, and they were like, uh, no. And so they changed the ending. That would have made the sequels a lot tougher, too. Uh, they would yeah, have. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? The movie should end that way. That's really how the movie... Uh, man, it would be such a ballsier ending. And what would that say? And it would, it would really leave us walking out of the theater going, fuck. Yeah. You know? And I, the sequels be damned. Like, I agree with the you. The message of that a, film would just been movie. so much It would have been a better movie. <sighs> wow, it's good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ira, what's your number three? Now, as we all know, my number five was a franchise, a series of films. I'm, I'm pulling the th- same thing with my number three. It, too, was a franchise, and uh, I'm referring to Batman, Batman as number three. Okay. When Batman I'll, was I'll a little this. boy, yeah. before he became Batman, I think he was with his mom and dad, and they went to the opera in Gotham mm-hmm. in New York City, and there was a robber. They got held up, and I think the robber killed them both, and he saw his mom and dad. So now he's got psychological trauma, and now he's taking it upon himself to be a good guy and get rid of all the evil in Gotham City. It now, kind this of is fucked the, him up. The it 89 fucked him up. Batman, it's right? all Batman. It's the animated Batman. It's every single Batman, every incarnation has that same legend, that that's the premise of why Batman became Batman. He truly suffers from uh, F, uh, from FTSD. FTSD. Oh, sorry. PT. <laughs> P P 
That's fucking Here's traumatic fucking, stress. That's <laughs> his is future traumatic stress. Uh, okay. uh, no, but wait, <laughs> which, which film of All the of Batman? Them. Uh, but which film? Okay. Let me ask the question. I know your question. Which film of them do you think represents Refle- it the most? Reflects it the best, right? Yeah, yeah I think Batman. Uh, well, we had Batman Returns. Was that the first in the series? Okay, the first in the series of three of the, the Christopher Nolan. Oh, that was Batman Begins. That's it. Batman okay. Begins. Okay. Of, of the that one, that was a hell of a film. Okay. And if I had to lock in one, it would be that one. Hmm. All right. Nice. Jeff, number um, uh, number three. So, um, this one is uh, definitely not war related. Just like you know, Batman was an um, monster. Monster. Um, oh. It's the one with uh, uh, Charlie's Theron. Yeah, and Charlie's Theron. Um, it's showing someone who's dealt with so much severe trauma that how they were able to tell a story about a serial killer that actually made me agree with her choices. Yeah. And be like, yeah, I, if I went through what she did, I would probably be doing the same thing. Um, such a powerful, incredible film that really takes you through the the extremes of what sexual violence and can do to someone um and obviously you know um her character um takes it further than uh you know than she should but you can see why she went that way you see the real motivations behind it yeah yeah oh, we've talked about monster on this podcast before and yeah. it's just exceptional performance yeah great great acting in that she film. wore no makeup yeah Nice, uh, nice number three. All right, my number three. That's really nice, by the way. I like your number three a lot. Thank you. My number three is also not a war film. It's a film from 1999 that depicts a uh, the PTSD of a guy who has been in a cubicle way too long, office space. Oh, nice. <laughs> Love it. And uh, <laughs> you know. The PTSD he always just, do, you always do this. I love it. I love. Go ahead. But that, that's it, I know, right? I, I know, mean, he you're t- right. truly had PTSD. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. That fax machine scene is all yeah. you need to know. To know that was PTSD. Oh my gosh. And can we just talk about how brilliant that movie is? <laughs> it's Mike one of those Judge movies. Is a god. You can. What'd you say? Mike Judge is a god. It's amazing. <laughs> and you, the more you watch it, the better it gets. It is. Mm-hmm. There are a few comedies that really are that way, and yeah. this is probably king of them all. Watching Office Space the the fifth time is better than the second. Definitely, yeah. I love it. I love it. There's Robert. so many great little callbacks too, like the, being stuck in traffic and the old man on the walker being faster than you are. That's great. So many good little notes. All right, what do you got I love there? It. A film that we did speak about in pre- previous podcasts, but I'm going to double up anyway. Number two is uh, Ordinary People, uh, 1980. This was uh, Robert Redford's film directorial debut. I didn't realize that. It's the first motion picture he ever directed. And here we had the brother with the, with the boating accident. Mm-hmm. So the other brother who's alive, he was suffering from something. He was in therapy. Judd Hirsch was right. his therapist, right? But more than that, the father was okay. He was fine, Sutherland. But it was the mom, Mary Tyler Moore, who was having a lot of issues. And uh, she was transferring all what happened, losing a son. She was pretty fucked up because of what happened with the death of her son. So here we have a family that's kind of messed up because of this. Right. Uh, because of uh, PTSD. That's my not, number two. Not FTSD? No, I was going to say that. I was going to say that again to be you. consistent. <laughs> All right, Jeff, what's your number two? Um, number two is uh, is Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Glamel del Toro. Uh, 
basically, you know, a look at dealing with PTSD through the eyes of a child. Um, how she goes into this fantasy sort of world to try to cope with this reality that is so traumatic that it um, it's both, you know, it's it's something that's realistic in terms of how children do deal with with it, as well as taking into this magical, cinematically just breathtaking um, experience and. Did you see the exhibit when it came here? I didn't know. I didn't even know about that. Oh, yeah. At the uh, LACMA, they had all of... You, Del Toro has a, a, a mansion just filled with all sorts of movie props and memorabilia oh, wow. stuff. And they, I guess some artist, photographer, somebody went into his house and was like, this needs to be in a museum. So they pulled all this shit out of his house and put it into a museum. And it's it's just some incredible artwork. And then they, they had full replica sculptures what's the the character the has the eyeballs on the Don't palms the of his name hand. of it but yeah, but that character was iconic like, one from, yeah and yeah. it was uh full scale really like, yeah it was, it's incredible stuff wow yeah yeah so that would be my number all right two. pan's <laughs> labyrinth nice uh my two my second choice here is a movie from 2009 it is a film a war film uh i don't know if you've seen this movie or not but it's really interesting it's called The Messenger. Have you seen The Messenger? I haven't, no. With Woody Harrelson. And, uh, oh, it, yeah. It's about the the guys who have to tell the family members of people who died in war. And they, they're the ones that have to go on the door and like, knock and tell them, your son died. And it just day after day after day is dealing with, your son died, your son died, your son died. And what happens to these guys and the trauma that they have to face of being there for these other people and just it it's watching you know the parents crumble or the wife melt in front of them that is so fascinating these messengers have to be trained yeah and i'm sure have a lot of conferences with therapists and so on about how what happens if an individual reacts this way or that way yeah they've got to be ready for any kind of reaction and i think also i i can't remember because it's been a little while since i've seen it but i seem to even remember there being some parallels between what they're doing and it not being physically dangerous but it's very emotionally dangerous and then there also being some guilt that they're not on the front lines dealing with bullets right, right. so the, it's a lot of like very mixed emotions right. a, a great subject matter for a film really really strong it's got a gnaw away at them and what's right. it like when they go home at the end of the day yeah great movie wow. check wow. it out The yeah. Messenger have you seen need, it Jeff I need to, that was actually one I really wanted to watch but it was before I did my yeah. film was when I was in the early stages of that so I was like I'll watch it after and then I just promptly forgot about it until you mentioned it's it. a really great one to uh, to check out and I feel like it, it is a spiritual cousin of your film uh, and it, it's just some incredible performances kind of um, spiritual interesting spiritual cousin yeah wow. thank you yeah. <laughs> spiritual cousin yeah. and that inspired you your cousin I did yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean your cousin is the g- degenerate the, in and the, out of jail cousin and this is the one yeah. that does not fuck me <laughs> no you get what I mean it's a good one yeah, if you're going to watch them back to back, that would be a, a, a good, well, you're going to need a box of tissues, but you, you know, it's good. Good evening. All right. What do you got, Ira? We're not going to overlap at all and that's okay. My number one is going to surprise you. Mm. My number one film is Fearless. 
I don't know if we've oh, ever yeah. spoken about this film, uh, was Peter Weir. I, yeah. I always forgot that he directed this movie, Jeff Bridges. Uh, are you familiar with this one also? I'm uh, familiar, but I haven't seen it. You don't course. go to movies. No, <laughs> Our director here like, doesn't go to movies. I like movies. that he doesn't, he doesn't see go as to many movies. movies. I like it. Um, it opens with... a. a a startling plane crash that he survives. He managed to survive and it affects him profoundly, both good and bad. He sees life in a whole different way. The last 20 minutes gets very trippy, very spiritual, and it dabbles in what's real and what's not. But it definitely did affect him and what he experienced. Um, it was a haunting film and I think somehow it was underappreciated. Uh, Jeff Bridges gave an incredible performance in that film. Uh, Fearless is my number one. Hmm. All right. Nice. And Jeff? So, mine was a toss-up. Uh, two films by the same director, and I, I ended up uh, settling on uh, his film Hunger, but the director, Steve McQueen, also did 12 Years a Slave. Right. Um, 12 Years a Slave is a great one, obviously. I mean, what form of human suffering create worse PTSD than slavery um, in terms of that and the way it was depicted within them? But with Hunger, um, that one is so powerful on so many levels. I mean, one, it's just one of my favorite films of all time. Um, it's like cinematic perfection. Uh, but in terms of the performances, the prison guards and the way that you see them coping with what they're doing to these prisoners and then the prisoners in the cells coping with the situation that they're in um, and the extremes that it drives the prisoners to um, and just every, it shows every ass each of the characters in it is almost like their own um, their own uh, symptom or uh, or side effect of PTSD in a way it's hmm. you know the Michael Fassbinder character is the the one who who is the almost like the anger the the, the lashing out his roommate I forget the actor's name he's the one that's just like closed off and 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 um disconnecting from everything then you have with the you know the prison guard who after a beating of some of the prisoners goes out and you know vomits and he can't you know he's like dealing with this day in and day out it's just it's such a powerful film that right dealing with those issues and of this institutionalized um form of it where it's just it's a daily routine experience and how they're coping with it yeah, I haven't seen Hungry yet. It's been in my Netflix queue forever, and uh, I've been I've really been wanting to see it. I know it, it's gotten great reviews, and everyone it's, talks about it. It's a, I mean, it's another one that's incredibly slow. I mean, mm. it makes mine look like an action movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will say, like, some of the scenes that, I mean, those shots, and it's typical Steve McQueen, but it's the shots that'll go on for five minutes. Right. Just one lockdown shot, the camera's barely even moving. And yet what's happening in it, I mean, you walk out of it and you just feel like you've been assaulted. And I mean, I had, this is a film after I saw that one. It's one of the only films I've ever seen where I called up a bunch of my film dork friends and I said, we're no longer friends and you cannot talk to me until you've seen this movie and then we'll be friends again. <laughs> and then they would go and see it. And then, and they, then they're like, yes! <laughs> exactly. They're like, thank God. Yeah. Finally. All um, I have to do is not watch this movie. Yes. Yeah, I wish I'm, it was that easy, easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone, after, after they would see it, I mean, it's exhausting. You'll feel like you've just been punished, but it's an incredibly effective film. Wow. So. Directed by Steve McQueen, yeah. who was really great on that motorcycle. Oh, he's an amazing motorcyclist, too. Well, no, wait. Are we <laughs> <laughs> he went right there with you. Really? That was great. That was good. <laughs> 
And my number one movie is uh, is a movie from 2007, and it's an Adam Sandler movie, starring Don Cheadle as well. Rain Over Me. That's have you seen Rain Over Me? Yeah, I did actually see that one, surprisingly. Yeah. And uh, have you really seen this, Ira? No. Do you know no. what it's about? No. Uh, Adam Sandler loses his family in the September 11th attacks, and he's kind of left by himself, and he doesn't really have anything. He, he's real rich, as, and, yeah. and he's he's got all this money, and he's... He's incredibly depressed, and he runs into his old college roommate who tries to kind of cheer him up and, and try to reconnect with him. And you could just tell that, I mean, Adam Sandler's gone. He's just, he's got nothing left. He's a broken man. And it's, it's a really interesting film. And it's by it, far his best performance, too. I, I think so. I think a lot of people say that. I still really like Punch Drunk Love right. a lot, but yeah. it's, it's those two films for me that, where Adam Sandler actually, you can see, they're. He actually has a little bit of talent in terms of a dramatic yeah. role and carrying a dramatic film, but it's a really good one. And um, and Rainer for me, that's that's one of my, one of my favorite movies. I don't think we've that's talked about. No, we haven't. We haven't. It's a really good. I totally forgot about that film. But that's a really good one. Yeah, there's some good PTSD. Yeah. Hey, this guess what? Good. We did it. By the way, nice. I do have. We should explain this to Jeff. Sometimes, well, we cheat. We call these scoops, scoops of ice cream, because I have extras, a few bonus. I just okay. rattle off. They're no, wait, not my does, top five. You got to explain why scoops okay, of ice cream. Okay, because my. I, I love how we actually coined it and became scoops. The reason we call it that is that it was hard for me to limit a chocolate sundae to just five. I'm going to give you two extra scoops of ice cream. <laughs> Isn't that good? You're getting a bonus. Nice. So that was the way I justified it. And we've actually coined this term. We're calling them scoops. Yeah. It, it became that. Yeah. It's pretty funny. So these are my scoops of ice cream just to rattle off. I had a hard time not including these films. Grand Torino, Born on the Fourth of July, uh, Rambo, First Blood, and Save the Tiger, Jack Lemmon, which was also, he won the Oscar for that. Okay. And um, he went through, there's a lot of flashbacks to when he was a soldier in war. Uh, Save the Tiger. Those are my four. I just wanted to squeeze them in. All right. Do you have any nice. scoops? No. Uh -huh. no. None? No. Well, now you make me feel like a pig for eating all this ice cream. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. some of us are on a diet. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Jeff, hey, this has been this great having great. you in the studio, man. Yeah, thank thank you. you. It's been really nice. Thanks so much for sharing all of your uh, your insights to your film. And, uh, yeah. and wish you the best of luck and continued Congratulations success Congratulations again. Thank you. And Thank and you so uh, if someone, I know you are, you said that you're not very great at social media, but if someone were to want to try to connect with you, how would they find you? Do you have Instagram or Twitter? Or I anything? do. Um, you can, because I manage all the social media for Frey, so you can do it through that. It's just Frey Movie. Um, and it should be F R A Y, right? A Y. Yes. Yeah. Um, F R A Y. Uh, so Frey Movie. You know, you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those. Dot uh, com is the website, and. Um, yeah, I manage all that. So if you message through there, it goes right to me. Okay, um, great. So that's the best way to reach me. And uh, yeah, and if you check out the film, um, let me know what you thought. I'd love to. I, I mean, I love it. And if if it's a positive one, I usually pass it along to cast and crew because that makes them happy. Yeah, that's so. cool. So yeah. uh, you know, and also rate and review the film on Amazon, and it's uh, it, it's they it can be seen now through Amazon Prime for yeah. free, right? Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime for free. Um, bunch of other ones if you don't have amazon but that's the best one in terms of you can see it for free and it's great quality and 
you know, most people have an Amazon account at this point. Right. Yeah. So. And then uh, it sh- we should say for our film. That's yes. right. If anyone's love. listening to our film and listening to our listening to our show and wants to see our film, you can check that out on Amazon free, Amazon Prime for free. free as well. Man, I can't talk tonight. Did you see a little bit, a little bit of a similarity between Frey and and our film and Thirty Love? A little bit. I was. It reminded me of certain moments, certain scenes. In no? what way? Just the where he unloaded the, the gun. <laughs> no, a general overall feel and some of the shots too. You're not seeing it, are you? No, no. no? Well, I mean, it was a feature-length film. Ours is a feature-length <laughs> film. Besides that, here you go. Where it's about a male character who's bent and broken. Yeah, I could see that. There you go. Okay, there you go. Now, so now there I is a similarity. That. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Maybe Thank some you. maybe some PTSD going on <laughs> in me. No. Oh, in our in main the, character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, Just you could, the people I had to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> so you could check that out on Amazon Prime and uh, and rate and review that as well. And as for us, if you want to send us an email, if you have a top five movie that we didn't mention, uh, feel free to send us an email to Robert at antiwavepodcast.com or and slash or Ira at antiwavepodcast.com. Yeah, or you can find us on Twitter, which is at Antiwave Podcast or uh, Instagram, which is at Antiwave Podcast as well. We're all over the place, aren't we, Robert? Yeah, we are. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, on Google Play. Go to our website. And be sure to yeah, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Let somebody know about the show. Tell them to download it and, uh, and spread the word. Spread the word. Yeah. All right. So I guess until next time. Jeff, thank yeah, you. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank, thank you. For in. Thanks for having me. And uh, I guess until next time, keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. Sorry to interrupt, but um, I just had to ask, have you guys been reading my diary?